Good morning. Welcome to Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church for worship today on a beautiful, snowy, and bright, very picturesque day. Um, today we see, and we, we continue our readings in the Gospel of Mark, and we see that Mark portrays Jesus as knowing about the cross and very much desiring to get there. And today, he talks to his own disciples about carrying a cross as he prepares them for the cross that he will bear and the cross that, as a consequence, they will bear. The service is outlined for you in your service folder, whether it's green, white, or a combination thereof. Uh, it just kind of happened that way. And we'll begin with our opening song by our Sunday school, entitled Friend, I'm Sorry. We'll talk about that a little bit in our sermon as well. God bless your worship.
We continue on page 28, or page 38, sorry, in the front part of your red hymnal. Please rise. Page 38. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And also with you. We have come into the presence of God who created us to love and serve Him as His dear children. But we have disobeyed Him and deserve only His wrath and punishment. Therefore, let us confess our sins to Him and plead for His mercy. Merciful Father in heaven, I am altogether sinful from birth. In countless ways I have sinned against you and do not deserve to be called your child. But trusting in Jesus, my Savior, I pray, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. Cleanse me from my sin and take away my guilt. God, our Heavenly Father, has forgiven all your sins. By the perfect life and innocent death of our Lord Jesus Christ, He has removed your guilt forever. You are His own dear child. May God give you strength to live according to His will. In the peace of this forgiveness, let us praise the Lord. Today we see that being a follower of Christ means carrying a cross. Here in Genesis chapter 28, we see that the merciful presence of God is certain because of grace alone. Jacob set out from Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. He came to a certain place and decided to spend the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from that place, put it under his head, and lay down to sleep in that place. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. There were angels of God ascending and descending on it. There at the top stood the Lord who said, I am the Lord, 
the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you are lying I give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. In you and in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now I am with you, and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back again into this land. Indeed, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Jacob woke up from his sleep, and he said, Certainly the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, How awe-inspiring is this place. This is nothing other than the house of God, and this is the gate to heaven. This is the word of our God. We continue with our psalm for today, Psalm 73, as found on page 94. chapter 5, we see the miracle of Lent, that Christ the innocent, suffering for sinners and in their place, making them innocent in God's sight. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
and we rejoice confidently on the basis of our hope for the glory of God. Not only this, but we also rejoice confidently in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces patient endurance, and patient endurance produces tested character, and tested character produces hope. And hope will not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. For at the appointed time, while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. It is rare indeed that someone will die for a righteous person. Perhaps someone might actually go so far as to die for a person who has been good to him. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, it is even more certain that we will be saved from God's wrath through him. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, it is even more certain that since we have been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only is this so, but we also go on rejoicing confidently in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received this reconciliation. This is the word of our Lord. Our theme verse is printed for you there. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the reading of our gospel. Our gospel reading from Mark chapter 8. We see that Jesus knows the cross is coming, and so he prepares his disciples. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law, be killed, and after three days, rise again. He was speaking plainly to them. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But after turning around and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have your mind set on the things of God, But the things of men. He called the crowd and his disciples together and said to them, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. After all, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul, in fact? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. You may be seated for our hymn of the day, number 434.
Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly our gospel reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. And by way of introduction, I'd like you to think for a minute. Think back over the last year or years. Think for yourself. What has been the toughest prayer that you have ever prayed? Whether it was the most difficult prayer or a circumstance where God had closed off or every other avenue of escape had been closed off to you, where you were left with nothing to do but looking up to heaven, maybe even you know lying on your back in a hospital bed as, um, as Don Wordshead put it once, you know, Pastor, it's really easy to look up when I'm lying here. What was the toughest prayer that you have ever prayed? By way of example, let's look at that guy from our first scripture reading, Jacob. Jacob, the one who had deceived his brother, not once but twice. The brother who was supposed to have been the closest to him, his twin, (laughs) deceived his brother and his brother wanted to kill him. And so Jacob has to flee. Jacob, the one who is the bearer of the birthright, the one whom Isaac had blessed and through whom the Savior would come, and now he flees for his life. And he's not a young man. He's like 70 years old at the time of the reading here in Genesis chapter 28. He should have known better. But he goes. And he runs away. And the man... Who is running for his life has nothing but a little patch of ground and a rock for a pillow. Did he pray? Well, we see how God answered him. God promised, I will give this land to you and to your descendants. Not only, not only would Jacob survive and have children of his own, but he would come back to that place and have a a land, the place that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac. The rest of his journey owed to his, um, his uncle Laban, no doubt, laden with difficult prayer. Lord, keep your promise. I don't see how, but I trust you to keep your promise. But there's so much doubt and wonder, because I don't even know what the next step is going to be. The toughest prayer that you've ever prayed. Singing our song for today. I have to admit that our hymnal was somewhat deceptive about the contents of that song. They took about the last, I don't know, three, four, five verses, the last verses of that song, and it sounds like this triumphant statement of confidence, but that's not the way Asaph wrote it. For the first 15, nearly 20 verses, this is the way he wrote. My feet had almost slipped, I nearly lost my foothold. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, they are free from the burdens common to man, they are not plagued by human ills, pride is their necklace, and on and on and on. This man who was faithful to God, faithful in prayer, who was a leader and a hymn writer, the guy who kind of organized all the music for the temple worship, he says, I don't get it, God. Why? Why are all the unbelievers just going through life with not a care at all? And your people, 
Your people are the ones who are struggling, who are burdened with, with sickness and worry and doubt. And Lord, from my perspective right now, i got to be serious. It looks like I would be better off being one of them than one of yours. The turning point for Asaph was when he went into the temple and he says, There, there I see their final end. That despite all of the suffering the believer would have to go through, God's promised final end for the believer is an eternity of ease and comfort and unbounded joy. But that doesn't mean that the rest of his life, Asaph had an easy life of prayer, because he still saw the arrogant and the wicked with all of their successes and all of their violence and the godly struggling to keep the tiniest little foothold of faith. So I ask you, it's the most difficult prayer that you have ever prayed. I would suggest that the most difficult prayer any of us will have ever prayed is something we'll pray just a little bit later in our worship service today. In the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, sure that's difficult enough to think that, that I can call Holy Almighty God my Father. Hallowed be thy name, yes, that is equally difficult. Asking God to help me be worthy of the name Christian, thy kingdom come, certainly still difficult. That God would continue to grow and spread his kingdom of grace here on earth. But the next petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right there it is. In the words that Jesus himself taught us, the most difficult prayer that any Christian will ever have to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because, sure, we can say the words, but at the same time, the sinful flesh cries out, Well, if God really is a good God, then he better know how to answer this exactly how I want it, and in my time frame. If God really is a good God, then he'll prove it in, in answering my prayer exactly the way that I want it. And yes, there's a place always for Christian confidence to, to pray to God with all confidence as a child goes to his or her dear father. But how often? When we pray, thy will be done on earth, doesn't the sinful nature reach up its fist and try to tack on, Really? My will be done on my time frame, exactly what I want. And Lord, you better know that your goodness hinges on your answer to my prayer. My will be done. Because if you don't do as I pray, then are you really my loving God? My will, thy will. The most difficult prayer that we have ever prayed or will ever pray is the setting aside of our will when God has made it apparent that his will is different. How? How could we ever pray that prayer? Why would Jesus give us those words to pray? We've got enough, enough other things to pray about. 
that God can take care of and, and that don't hit quite as close to home. And there's the worry that, well, maybe, maybe the problem is with me, that, that I'm not a good enough Christian or that I don't believe hard enough and maybe I'm asking for something wrong, that God isn't answering my prayer the way I want it answered and on the time frame that I want it answered. But Jesus sweeps that aside with the rest of Scripture, with the opening petition of the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray as a child asking his or her dear father. And so we stand there with Asaph, with Jacob, saying, Lord, how can you accomplish this prayer in my life? Especially when the best of my prayers is hindered by my own sinful flesh and the best things that I might do in this world, yes, even then are laden down by my sinful nature that always wants to assert its own will above God's will. Where shall we turn? We'll look back at the one who gave us that prayer. He taught it to his disciples two times. And he is the one who, in a few weeks, we'll see bowed down in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying three times, three separate prayers. Lord, if it is possible, take this cup from me. If there is any other way to save these people, take this cup of suffering from me. How did he conclude? Yet not as I will, but as you will. The perfect prayer of our perfect Jesus. And not, not laid out as a blueprint, as if to say, well, this is the, the standard you've got to live up to. But to say, this is the Jesus who tells us to follow him. This is the Jesus who has prepared us for the life of following him and prepared us for the cross that he talks about. The Jesus that we see here and throughout all of scripture the, the, the second person of the Trinity, you know, God who is indivisible, always has been and always will be. The second person of the Trinity, the, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh and lived and died and rose. At every point, Jesus Christ, the Son of Mary and the Son of God, laid down his life and prayed perfectly and lived perfectly. For you and for me. And this is absolutely important because if Jesus is not the Son of God, if Jesus is not God himself throughout his entire life, then all of the work will have been for nothing. Because sure, he would have lived a perfect life for himself, but what about everybody else? But the fact that he is the Son of God, eternally of one essence with the Father and the Spirit, the Son of God means that the blood of our Lord is of infinite value to cover over the sins of all people. And the historical fact that Jesus died on the cross after living a perfect life, and that Jesus rose from the dead again, and from the moment of his incarnation, nine months before Christmas, through all the rest of eternity, eternally bound up as God and man in one person, this gives us absolute confidence that he is the Savior God promised, that our sin really has been paid for, and we have one who prayed on our behalf and intercedes for our behalf, on our behalf. And the one who hears our prayer, thy will be done, 
and who perfects our prayer when that sinful flesh tries to say, well, my will be done. Jesus sweeps that aside, washes it away in his own perfect prayer. And we pray. That most difficult prayer in the whole entire world. Thy will be done. And that little prayer is just a snippet of what Jesus talks about here. But I think it provides a fairly good example. Jesus starts talking about the cross. He prepares his disciples for what's coming up in in just a short two or three months. And he says, when we get to Jerusalem, the Son of Man, talking about himself, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners and crucified and buried, and on the third day rise again. And Peter speaks up for all the disciples. No, 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 not not for you. You're God. That's not the way it's supposed to work. And Jesus says, actually, that's exactly the way it's supposed to work. Because that is exactly the way that sin will be forgiven. The blood of God, paying for the sins of his people. As Paul so eloquently put it in Romans chapter 5. And this is the Jesus who calls each of us to follow him. Who called us to faith in baptism or later in life through his word. Who says, follow me, and if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That, that self-denial he's talking about here isn't like saying you have to give up everything that you ever have and, and go live the life of an ascetic or a homeless person. But rather, it's that internal struggle. The internal struggle to set aside my will in favor of God's will. To look at what God's law says and says, yes, that is what I want to do, even when it means a little bit of personal loss or difficulty or self-sacrifice. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And the only way, the only way any of us could do this is if Jesus is exactly who he says and claims to be. The fact that he rose from the dead proves it. Son of Mary, Son of God, from incarnation through all eternity. The one who has won your salvation and won your forgiveness now says, follow me. And set aside your own personal preferences in favor of what God's law says. That may mean, that may mean a little bit of extra work, or it may mean the, just the internal struggle against doubt that ASAP has. That's part, all part of the Christian cross. The sort of suffering, whether internal or external, that comes on your life simply because you are a Christian. Because, you know, you know that no unbeliever has to worry about following Jesus or worry about doing the right thing. There's no struggle at all. They're possessed by the sinful nature. But for the Christian alone, the sinful flesh is there, the new life of faith is there, and in constant battle, The sinful flesh says, this is what you feel like doing. This is what you ought to do. And by the way, no one will find out. God's will says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The sinful flesh asserts, well, look at what everybody else is doing. All the unbelievers are getting away with it. In the words of Asaph. And the believing heart says, that may be. 
but my Lord will certainly restore anything that I supposedly have lost out on in this world. The accusation of Satan, echoed by our sinful flesh and re-echoed by a conscience that, that often testifies against us. And that says, but you are a sinful human being. Don't you know what you've done? The life of faith says in absolute confidence, yes, I am a sinner, and thanks be to God that Jesus died for sinners, of whom I am chief. And the fact that the Son of God shares my humanity is absolute proof that God has forgiven me, and what of my sin, because it has been buried with Christ, and God has promised me an eternal place in holiness and joy and perfection with Him. So yes, call me a sinner, because Jesus has declared me to be forgiven. But perhaps, perhaps the most difficult place, or the most practical, however you put it, the most practical, most difficult place for us to deny our own self and take up the cross and follow Jesus is exactly in that simple song that our Sunday schoolers sang this morning. The simple song... Friend, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Friend, I forgive you. Jesus has forgiven you, and I do too. It would be so much easier. And the sinful flesh loves it. To, to dwell in a status of victimhood and say, somebody else hurt me, and I am the victim, and I'm going to hold this grudge. But to deny that sinful inclination. Say, friend... I'm sorry. This fellowship that we share is worth far more than the personal hurt that I may have experienced. Friend, I'm sorry. And on the other side, the corresponding denial of self. Instead of saying, well, yeah, you ought to be sorry, because you know what you did to me? I'm going to get you back one of these days. The corresponding denial of self says, friend, Jesus forgave you. And I forgive you too. Plain and simple. And so when Jesus says, come follow me, when he tells his disciples the cross that awaits him, it's nothing separate from the cross that awaits you and me. Because that continual struggle between, between the sinful flesh and the new life of faith, I know we've talked about this before, the continual struggle between the, the sinful flesh and the new life of faith will go on until death. Until one of two things dies. Either your body dies, your soul goes to heaven, or your faith dies, and the struggle ends. The only two ways that the struggle between sin and faith will ever end is in death. And so Asaph redirects our eyes once more. He says, dear Christian, it's worth it. Follow Jesus. Take up that cross, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how personally disadvantageous it may feel at the moment. Take up that cross, because it's worth it. Let the world hold its wealth and gold. We have a Savior who has promised an eternity with him. We have a Lord who now says, follow me. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.
I invite you to turn to our Confession of Faith, the Apostles' Creed, as found on page 41. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated as we worship the Lord with our offering. Responsive prayer of the church will actually use the responsive prayer for Lent. This can be found on page 125 in the front part of your red hymnal. Page 125, the prayer for Lent. Please rise. We pray. Heavenly Father, you love the world gave your Son to liberate us from sin and death by his obedient death on the cross. We are lost. Lord of the Church, we thank you for the treasure of the Gospel. By your Spirit, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Strengthen our determination to do what pleases you, no matter what the danger or the cost. Let us pray for those who carry a cross in the name of Christ and face ridicule and persecution for the sake of the kingdom. Missionaries and chaplains, young people who stand up for what is right in the face of pressure to do what is wrong, and all who pay a high price for their faith and their values as Christians. By your Spirit, O Lord, grant them patience and endurance. 
Let us pray for those who carry heavy burdens in life, the sick and the chronically ill, the depressed and the lonely, those torn by conflict in personal relationships, those victimized by war and injustice, and all who face the terrors of life with a heavy heart. Grant them peace, O Lord, and in your mercy be their guardian and friend, their comfort and hope. Let us pray for those who care for others, pastors and counselors, physicians and nurses, social workers and caring friends, all who feed the hungry, comfort the hurting, and stand beside the dying. Strengthen them in their work, O Lord, and do not let them become weary in doing their work. And Lord Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. By your life, death, and resurrection, you earned for us peace with God. In a restless and turbulent world, enable us who know your peace to be peacemakers. Help us by word and example to promote harmony in our homes, workplaces, churches, schools, and wherever you place us in life. Now hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Help us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Keep us faithful, even to the point of death, that we may receive the crown of life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we also join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated for our next hymn as printed in your service folder. You'll notice that this hymn is one of the few hymns that we've got um, that is just an unabashed song of joy.
please rise for our closing prayer? Almighty God, we thank you for teaching us the things you want us to believe and do. Help us, by your Holy Spirit, to keep your word in pure hearts, that we may be strengthened in faith, guided in holiness, and comforted in life and in death through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Brothers and sisters, go in peace, live in harmony with one another, and serve the Lord with gladness. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. You may be seated for our closing hymn.
morning once again. A special welcome to the guest worship group with us today. Um, there are two announcements there, and then the one that didn't make the weekly calendar, I apologize, is Saturdays at 9.30, we've got our Bible Basics class. Um, so we go through all the, most of the basic doctrines of the Bible, and uh, good review for anybody, it's open to everybody. And the first class will hopefully be this coming Saturday um, at 9.30. And we've got the new March calendars at the back. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Green Pastures with Jesus, the audio home of Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church of Fairmont, Minnesota. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our website, www.shepherdofthelakes.net. Pass that along to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section at our website for previous podcasts. You can find us 9.30 a.m. Sunday mornings at 323 East 1st Street in Fairmont, just up the hill from Richard's Towing. Any questions, contact me, Pastor Hagen, 507-236-9572. God bless your day.